Welcome to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast, brought to you by DSW Ministries. Your host is singer, songwriter, speaker, and domestic violence advocate, Diana Winkler. She is passionate about helping survivors in the church heal from domestic violence and abuse and trauma. This podcast is not a substitute for professional counseling or qualified medical help. Now, here is Diana. Friends, welcome. Come on in. How are you doing today? I hope that you enjoyed the study of Jeremiah last week. I know that it was a lot to take in. There's a lot to learn about Jeremiah. You just did an overview last week. So many nuggets to chew on. So I hope that you learned something and I hope that encouraged you to read Jeremiah for yourself and learn some additional things. Now this week, I was doing some Bible reading in Genesis and I happened to notice that the story before was the story about Dinah, one of Jacob's daughters. And so I read it and I decided that I would do that lesson this week because it's short, simple, and to the point. So that's what we're going to talk about today is Dinah's story. And you might have noticed that my podcast has been posting a little bit late. I already mentioned that I had problems with my web posting, and I'm still in the process of changing to a new web host. Um, In the transferring stages, I was two weeks late getting out episodes. This week, um, it was just a matter of exhaustion. I'm working 10-hour days and coming home and trying to edit the podcast and get it posted on time. And I was just so tired. I was falling asleep on the couch. My husband's poking me. It's about 9, 30, 10 o'clock. And up till, you know, the last couple weeks, I haven't had any problems posting on time. But I just want to let you know that I'm not going anywhere. Nothing's wrong. Just technical difficulties. And then I'm just tired. Uh, You probably have had those days yourself where you are tired and, well, whatever I had left to do today is just going to have to wait until tomorrow. I don't have it in me to do today. Now, speaking of today, I was editing the podcast for tomorrow and there was a corrupted file. And so it sounded like I was underwater and... I was pretty upset that I would have to do the episode over again. Luckily, it is a solo episode, and I have the freedom to come in here and re-record it without having a guest. So that is what I'm doing today, re-recording the same story. So I've already done it once, so it might go a little faster for me because I've already covered the content. I know where I'm going with this. So... On to our study. I wanted to give you a little background of the story today in case you were not familiar with Jacob and the sons of Jacob. 
who are going to be featured today. So we're going to talk about Jacob's sons and his daughter, Dinah. And if you're not familiar with the 12 tribes, let me quickly just tell you the breakdown of the family. So the genealogy goes like this. You have Abraham and Sarah to start. Then Abraham has his son Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. And then Jacob had 12 sons and a daughter. And the 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. So I'm going to list the 12 tribes here. So Jacob's 12 sons, and that's in Genesis 35, 22 through 26. Leah was the mother of Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun, and also the mother of Dinah. Rachel is the mother of Joseph and Benjamin. We are going to do a study on Joseph here soon. I'm probably going to do a two-parter on Joseph because he is my favorite Bible character next to Jesus. And there's a lot of great stuff in his story. So the rest of the sons, let's see, Zilpah gave birth to Gad and Asher. Bilhah was the mother of Dan and Naphtali. So those are the 12 tribes. And I won't get into it any further because then we get into the weeds of other stuff that we will probably get into with Joseph's story. But for now, I'm just going to leave the background there. I just wanted you to know who this family is and who we're talking about here. So we're going to be in Genesis 34. I wanted to read a little bit about Jacob coming to the city Shechem. This is just a setup for the event that is about to happen. I'm in chapter 33 of Genesis in verse 18. And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Padaram. And he camped before the city and from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father. He bought for a hundred pieces of money a piece of land on which he had pitched his tent there. He erected an altar and called it El Elohe Israel. So I want to differentiate the city of Shechem, and then there was a person named Shechem. So you're not confused. So Jacob bought a piece of land from the inhabitants of Canaan, which they are not believers, as we're going to get into here shortly. They are surrounded by these different people groups, and they do not follow the values of Jacob and his family. They are not believers in the God of Abraham. So let's go to chapter 34, and I will say this. The Bible stories don't always have a super happy ending, but there are lessons that we can learn, some truths that we can notice in here about the character of people and the character of God. 
But this particular story is not super graphic. It is talking about the rape of Dinah, but it does not say any real descriptive language. So I was just giving you a heads up. So let's read in chapter 34, verse 1. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to see the women of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he seized her and lay with her and humiliated her. So I'm going to stop there. There's some contrary words that are coming up in this chapter. So Dinah was just taking a look around at all of the native Canaanites that lived around them. He was looking at the women from afar to see, well, you know, probably how do they wear their hair? What kind of clothes do they wear? What do they do all day? Are they beautiful? I don't know. It's just speculation. You know, she was observing the neighbors, right? Just like we do. So she's checking out the neighbors and this guy Shechem, who is a Hivite, grabs her and violates her. Now, who are the Hivite? The Hivite. We do know that the Hivite are not believers, according to the passage. They're descendants of the son of Ham. So, who's Ham? So, if you remember the story in Genesis, Noah and the flood, Ham was one of Noah's sons. And so, these are the descendants of Ham. But we don't know a whole lot about them. Their name means tent dweller. So, at one time, they may have been a little nomadic. So, let's keep going here. So, he humiliated her and laid with her in verse 2. I mean, he seized her. He humiliated her. Obviously, this was by force. This was not consensual. This was rape. But then in verse 3, it's kind of confusing. And his soul was drawn to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. Though Shechem spoke to his father, he more saying, Get me this girl for my wife. And I'm going to venture to say that this love that he had was most likely lust. She may have been very beautiful and he decided he wanted her. But this is not how we go about a marriage proposal. And Jacob, what did Jacob think about all this? Let's look in verse 5. Now, Jacob heard that he had defiled his daughter, Dinah. Did he use that word defiled? Yes, he did. But his sons were with his livestock in the field. So Jacob held his peace until they came. It sounds like Jacob depended on his sons to take care of business and family dealings. I don't recall how old Jacob is at this point, but it sounds like his sons take care of a lot of the family business at this point. So verse 6, 
And Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. The sons of Jacob had come in from the field as soon as they heard of him, and the men were indignant and very angry because he had done this outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, for such a thing must not be done. They are making a very big distinction here that what Shechem did was wrong. You do not treat Dinah that way. They are very angry. You don't just take a woman and play with her, not a daughter of Jacob. So the way that things were done in biblical times, they tried to protect the women. The women were married to those within the family, those within the Jewish community. They would not allow unbelievers, the foreign nations, or the unbelieving nations to marry their sons or daughters. That was not allowed. And that was for the protection of their tribes or their people to only marry those that were believers in the one true God. They were not allowing marriages with the surrounding nations. And that's to protect your daughter Two, to protect the family from outside influences and bringing their gods into the family that they were worshiping, but were false gods. We talked a lot about that last week. And then also your tribe that you are a part of the family unit, you had a certain amount of wealth. And that wealth was passed on to the sons and daughters. They did not want their family wealth given to an unbeliever, some outsider. I mean, it seems very strange to us. We don't have that culture. The marriages were arranged back then. That's how marriages were done. There was the bride price for the family she was to move in with. And it was considerably high, a bride price, because the father and the mother, they were going to be losing a daughter, a part of the family, who contributed to the family by, you know, cooking and cleaning and taking care of livestock or children, all of the household tasks, whatever. It takes a family to survive. And by having the bride price given, that would help the family to survive because the daughter was leaving their family and going to another family nearby. So anyway, that is the background of what marriages were like and how they were arranged. Let's go to verse 8. But Hamor spoke with them, saying, the soul of my son, Shechem, longs for your daughter. Please give her to him to be his wife. Make marriages with us. Give your daughters to us. Take our daughters for yourselves. You shall dwell with us, and the land shall be open to you. Dwell and trade in it, and get property in it. 
They're trying to tempt Jacob and his sons. Hey, you know, you can partner with us and you can have all the things and we can share with you the land and our daughters and our sons. And boy, that's a tempting offer. When you are surrounded by other nations and people groups that are not similar to your own, that does sound kind of tempting. That sounds like a good deal. Let's read on in verse 11. Shechem also said to her father and to her brothers, Let me find favor in your eyes, and whatever you say to me, I will give. Ask me for as great a bride price and gift as you will, and I will give whatever you say to me. Only give me the young woman to be my wife. The sons of Jacob answered Shechem and his father Hamor deceitfully because he had defiled their sister Dinah. So he's pretty much saying, name your price tool. He's laying it on thick. He's offering a very large bride price, more than normally given. You tell me what you want for Dinah and I will give you on top of the animals and the property and joining with us as allies, but it doesn't go over well with the sons. They said to him, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a disgrace to us. Now I'm going to go over circumcision in case you did not know about the process or the custom of circumcision. The Jews would be circumcised, which is removal of the foreskin of the penis. And that was a sign that you are a child of Abraham and a follower of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You were under a covenant with God. Most of the time, the babies were circumcised at a very young age. I believe it's eight days after they're born, they're circumcised. They probably don't remember any of that. Uh, but here, as we're going to see in the passage, they're going to ask them to be circumcised as adults. Circumcision was a huge thing. You are part of this community this faith community, the unbelievers, the surrounding nations did not circumcise their children or their adults. Now let's move on. Verse 15. Only on this condition will we agree with you that you'll become as we are by every male among you being circumcised. Then we will give you our daughters to you and we will take your daughters to ourselves and we will dwell with you and become one people. But if you will not listen to us in circumcision, we will take our daughter and we will be gone. So I think there's a little bit of putting that out there to get circumcised because everyone in their community, every male would have to be circumcised. And they can't really speak for the rest of their people because, you know, this is cutting skin, which is quite painful as an adult. And maybe the sons of Jacob thought that 
oh, they're not going to actually do this. They're not going to agree to get all circumcised. Probably they're going to leave and just forget about Dinah, move on with life. So let's see what happens. Verse 18, their words pleased Hamor and Hamor's son Shechem. And the young man did not delay to do the thing because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. Now, he was the most honored of all his father's house. So Hamor and his son Shechem came to the gate of their city and spoke to the men of their city, saying, These men are at peace with us. Let them dwell in the land and trade it in. For behold, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters as wives, and let us give our daughters. Only on this condition will the men agree to dwell with us to become one people when every male among us is circumcised, as they are circumcised. Will not their livestock, their property, and all their beasts be ours? Only let us agree with them, and they will dwell with us. And all who went out of the gate of the city listened to Hamor and his son Shechem, and every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of his city. So that's pretty unbelievable. They went in there to talk talk them into this plan, and we just talked about the reason why they didn't intermarry was to protect the wealth of the family. So they know that Jacob and his sons have lots of animals. They have wealth. They have a piece of land because Hamor had sold them the land. And they have lots of people. And so there is a lot of truth to what I said. Is What they found attractive to seal the deal was that Jacob had wealth. So let's go to verse 25. On the third day, when they were sore, two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, they took their swords and came against the city while it felt secure and killed all of the males. They killed Hamor and his son Shechem with the sword and took Dinah out of the house and went away. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their flocks, their herds, their donkeys, and whatever was in the city and in the field. All of their wealth, all of their little ones, their wives, all that was in the houses, they captured and plundered. Sounds like Jacob's sons were not happy about this deal. But this is not the way to go about it. I don't agree with killing of all the males because I think that's a bit extreme. They made an agreement to let Shechem marry Dinah if they were all circumcised. You are making a promise to somebody. This is a transaction. Marriages were transactional and taken very seriously. Joining with another country or city was a big deal. But it sounds like the sons, they didn't care if they got circumcised or not. They were still 
heathens in their hearts. They were going to worship other gods. They weren't going to be real Jews. That's what I'm thinking. And that's what I'm thinking went through their heads because why would you say, okay, you go and get circumcised and then we can intermarry when they were not in agreement? They put this really severe condition on this arrangement. And I don't think they thought that they were going to agree to it to begin with. So now that they went and everybody got circumcised, now, okay, what are we going to do? I don't really want to let these people be my brother-in-law. I don't want them taking our wealth. I don't want to share my livestock and my women and sons. And most of all, they defiled our sister. And we may not agree with the way that they took care of this, that they went and killed all the men and then took everything they owned. But they were defending their sister. That's how they probably saw it, was we're defending the honor of our sister. What you did was wrong, and you're going to pay for it. Now, God was not behind this. There was not a commandment of God to slay the Hivites. God says that vengeance is mine. So let's see what Jacob says about all of this. Verse 30. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land, the Kenites, the Parasites, the Jebusites. My numbers are few, and if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. Verse 31. And the son said, Should he treat our sister like a prostitute? Again, Jacob, Simeon, and Levi, they have a good point there. But Jacob's saying, We have to live around these people. When you say you're going to do something and you make an agreement with another nation or tribe, you have to follow through with that. You have to do what you say you're going to do in these covenants and these agreements. Because if you get the reputation that you can't be trusted, your word is not good. I mean, they're surrounded by all of these different people groups, and they're going to hear that Jacob's sons slaughtered the Hivites. So Jacob is afraid that these other nations are going to join together and come and attack them. I think that's a reasonable conclusion. I would be afraid too. This was before the Israelites were large in number. Their numbers are still very small. They're just starting out. They bought the piece of land, and he wants to at least have peace among his neighbors that they're not going to get attacked or killed. Even if you're not in agreement or have the same belief system or lifestyle, you still have to get along in a professional sense. Just like in our world, you have to go to work and you have to uh, work peaceably with your coworkers or your business partners, the people you do business with in the world. You might not agree with their politics or their religion or whatever, but you have to do some sort of getting along, putting aside your differences in order to be peaceable with each other and get the job done. 
I am very glad that they took Diana's assault very seriously. They recognized that she was violated. They believed her story. They treated her like a valued member of the family. They were trying to protect her. And I wish they had some dialogue for Dinah here. There is zero dialogue. I would like to hear her thoughts. I'm sure this was very traumatic for her to be violated. And then you're living with the Hivites with your husband. And then everybody gets slaughtered. And your brothers come and take you away from your new home. I wonder what she thought of all that. Did she agree with what her brothers did? Um, again, I'm I'm very glad that she was believed. Her family treated her very well and stuck up for her. So there are examples of that in scripture. We've talked about a lot of stories where family members were violated and nobody did anything. Now, we did a story of Tamar and Bathsheba, and we talked about those things. So I think it was refreshing to see a story where the victims are believed and supported. Again, we don't agree with slaughtering your enemies with a sword or any other weapon. That is probably not what God wanted, but that's what happened. And the Bible does not sugarcoat things. The Bible reports the events as they happen good, bad, and ugly. So what does Jacob say after that? This is kind of the end of the story. Jacob's going and making an altar to the Lord in chapter 35, verse 1. And Genesis 35 and verse 1. God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So the story of him and his brother is in the previous chapters. So you can go and read that if you want to know about that story. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with them, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them. So they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan. He and all the people who were with him, and there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, because their God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. Verse 9. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padanaram and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. 
be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you, and I will give you the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. So that's where we're going to stop today because um, the rest of the chapter goes into other things. So let's comment about that. So we are already seeing that God protected his family. We also see that there were false gods in their community. The neighboring nations already influenced them because they had their little little gods, their little trinkets. They were wearing clothing that was supposed to be for worshiping the false gods. And God told Jacob to build an altar and make a sacrifice. And Jacob is very clear to say that we're going to purify ourselves, put away those foreign gods, change our garments. And he's very thankful for God being with him in the day of distress and that God has been with him wherever he went. So everybody was listening to him and gave up all of their foreign gods, their little statues, the rings that were in their ears, their clothing for worshiping other gods. And Jacob hid those things under the tree. And at the end here, God changes Jacob's name from Jacob to Israel. And so you will see that interchanged in the Bible. Sometimes he would be called Jacob and other times he would be called Israel. So be mindful of that in the future. God is going to use him and his family, even though they have made some mistakes, they're going to continue to make mistakes. So are we, God's going to bring kings from his family. And you can visit Bethel today and see where the place where Jacob created the altar. Now, we already did the takeaways for this lesson today, but I do want to mention that we study some of the people of the patriarch era. These are flawed individuals. They are human beings. I've heard so many sermons about these famous stories in the Bible, and they're whitewashed to not focus on any of their flaws or that they sin and they have to repent. They have to turn away from their sin, their foreign gods, and follow the one true God. So you're going to see that when you read Genesis, that these guys do some horrible things. And just as we have read in past lessons, even when we mess up, we have gone down the wrong path. God still chooses to use us for his glory. God still forgives us. We are still part of his family. Our salvation is based on our faith in God. 
And even through all of the Old Testament, if you're looking for it, you can see God's grace, God's mercy and patience to the people of Israel, to the Jewish community. And so that gives us some hope because we're not perfect. I certainly am not perfect. I will be the first one to tell you I have made some really bad mistakes. And now I've never slaughtered anybody or killed anybody. Uh, but I have gone down the wrong path and I've had to come back to God, come back to the fold. When we fall away, he's always there waiting for us to come back to him. He will wait for you. There is no sin that you or I have done that God cannot forgive. I do want to see that today. So this was not exactly a feel-good story for today, but it still had some lessons, some things that we learned about these folks. We're going to learn some more things. I'm going to start working on studying Joseph. Maybe throw some shorter stories in between there, like this one. I do have a guest coming on May 20th. I'm going to interview Scott Disler. He's going to be talking about the cave, which is pretty much a euphemism for depression in the Bible. He's a pastor and he talks about the depression and hitting a wall in church ministry. I have experienced those things and some of my other guests have. Do you remember Al Deshano? He has went through quite a bit of persecution and horrible treatment in church ministry. So Scott's going to talk about his book that chronicles his journey of going into the cave of despair and he's going to talk about Elijah the prophet, who also went into a cave. Just like Jeremiah had some real struggles with mental health, because they didn't have Prozac back then. They didn't have mental health services. So he's going to go over the story of Elijah and him going into the cave and then coming out of that cave and how he's in ministry today. So I won't even have to uh, study Elijah because you're going to hear it from Scott. And I got a copy of his book he sent me, and it's excellent. It's a very easy read. I'm halfway through it. It sucks you in immediately. So I'll promote it on here. I may give away a copy of the book to some lucky listeners if you're interested in. So I think you're going to enjoy this guest. So in the meantime, you can even read the story of Elijah to get familiar with it. That would be cool. So you can start in 1 Kings 18. Maybe you've heard of Elijah. He's well known for defeating the prophets, the false prophets of Baal. He asked God to send fire down from heaven and consume the animal sacrifice right in front of the worshipers of Baal who could not pull off the same display. And that was on Mount Carmel in Israel. It's an exciting story. So I'm encouraging you to get into God's word today. Hide it in your heart. 
Don't be afraid to ask questions. You're not going to understand everything you read. That's okay. I'm trying to encourage you to, if you've stepped away from God, or you've been mad at God, you don't understand why you went through the things you did, don't turn away. Don't turn your back away. Go towards the Lord and get into his word with fresh new eyes. I'm going to help you. And there are people out there that will help you. Doesn't mean you're not going to have those bad days, but God promises to always be with you, to comfort you. People misunderstand that they think that God is there to take away the bad things that happen to us. God doesn't promise that we're going to live in a sinful world and bad things are not going to happen to us because we're breathing. Whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're a believer or not, if you have a heartbeat and you're breathing, living on this planet, you are going to have some bad times. But what God does promise is that he will be there with you. He's going to make something good happen out of all of this. God will comfort you and he will be there beside you. So trust in that today, folks. If you don't remember anything else from this lesson, remember that. So those are my thoughts I'm going to leave with you. So I hope you're here next week. Reach out to me if you need anything. My email is in the show notes as well as my social media. Reach out to me and I'll be glad to help you any way I can. So until next week, folks, God bless you. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast. If this episode has been helpful to you, please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. You can connect with us at dswministries.org, where you'll find our blog along with our Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel links. Hope to see you next week.